0: Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. So, we are in our second uh, part of the series. So, this one is the temptation and the beginning of the movement. And so, um, let's get into that. Our first uh, point, I'm going to pull that up. This, uh, actually, let's just do the reading. <laughs> Sorry. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting the net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. The word of the Lord. <laughs> so now our first point. Actually, I guess I'm talk about this real quick. So this is the icon of uh, Jesus' temptation. So it's a picture of uh, the depiction of Satan there tempting Jesus and Jesus holding the scroll in his hand, um, the word of God uh, to uh, fight back against the devil and his, his lies. So go to the next slide. And this is an icon of Jesus calling um, Peter and Andrew as they're in the, in the boat. And uh, he calls them to follow him. So I really like this one as well. All right. So our first point is Jesus' public ministry had been long foretold. Jesus' public ministry had been long foretold. So the first uh, three verses um, are referencing Malachi 3 1 and Isaiah 4 uh, 3, or 40 verse 3. And so it's kind of cool uh, that they, they, he takes this here, and uh, Mark does, and he, he blends these two prophets together to show that um, Jesus didn't just um, appear out of nowhere. I think one of the important things that Christianity often forgets is we have a history going all the way back to Genesis, right? We're not just a New Testament people, we're a Old and New Testament people. The Old Testament tells us about the Jesus to come, and the New Testament tells us about Jesus who came and Jesus who will come again, right? So we look back to the Old Testament to see the Messiah who will come. We look in the New Testament to see who came, who is Jesus, obviously, and then um, that he's going to come again. You see that, especially in the book of Revelation, his, his uh, second coming. And so when we see this in the first three verses, we see uh, Mark is saying that Isaiah the prophet, but like I said, this is actually from Malachi as well as Isaiah. So it's a it's actually a two part uh, prophecy, or two prophets in one prophecy, which is kind of cold. It's, and so it says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. He will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And I, and I love this because um, when John went out, he was proclaiming the gospel of God. And when he went out, he was crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And so he's, he's saying, get ready because the Lord is coming. Literally, Advent means the arrival. Um, so what, what we remember during this season at Advent, right before Christmas, is that Jesus is going to arrive soon. So let me look, uh, go over these points with, with you all as we are going through uh, these first few verses. Jesus is victorious. Actually, let's, let's read 9 through 13 together. Um, yes, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, um, was baptized by John, or 12, sorry, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So that's actually the first two verses, uh, 12 and 13. So uh, Jesus is victorious where Adam and Eve failed. So Matthew 4 um, One through eleven talks about how Jesus is actually—he's victorious over the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Which is in First John chapter uh, two, verse sixteen, we see that Jesus um, is victorious over all the things that we struggle with every day—the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so, when um, it's kind of cool—I love the connection of First John uh, chapter two, verse sixteen with Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 6, because when Mary sees that the apple is good, it's, it's, it's pleasing to the eye. It's, it's valuable for gaining wisdom, right? Um, and so she's seeing all these things. And so it's really cool. There's actually a correspondence. So he, she, she wants wisdom, so she has this pride. She's saying that, I don't need God. I can be like God. Um, the lust of the eyes, right? So she wants to... Um, you know, she wants it because it looks pleasing, right? It's shiny, it's, it's, it's you know, kind of like a cool car, right? It's just something that looks good. It's, it's pleasing to look at. And um, it's also valuable for gaining wisdom. And so uh, she's, she's wanting to grab this apple for the same reason um, that we see First John 2.16 saying, these are the things that all people struggle with. So Jesus is victorious where Adam and Eve failed. It's really cool, too, because let's look at Matthew 4. Um, 1 through 11 together if you want a page back. Because we see first, uh, the tempter came and said to him, this is verse 3, chapter 4 verse 3, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So you have this lust of the flesh, right? He's hungry, he wants... He wants something to eat. And, and I, love, I love the way that <laughs> Satan's just like, if you're the son of God, like you came down from heaven, if you really are who you say you are, why are you living, like why are you out in the desert like this? Shouldn't you enjoy some bread? Shouldn't you enjoy something good to eat? Why are you living like this? So he's kind of appealing to the fact that he is the Lord of the universe, yet he's living in the wilderness, you know, all by himself. Why why are you out here? Just make yourself some bread? You can have something to eat, and I know in our own lives it can be that it can be easy like that sometimes it's like i don't you know I could easily do this or I could easily do that, but should we do that? You know it may be permissible, but is it beneficial and I think in our lives it's a lot of times something might be permissible. we might be able to do it, but should we do it and so here Jesus is could have easily turned that rock into bread if he wanted to and have himself a meal. But he chooses not to. And then verse 5 says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and, he, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And so here we have... Um, you know, it would, it would be pretty cool for him to literally throw himself off this temple and be rescued by angels. And I'm sure he'd have a fan following pretty quickly by making himself, you know, this kind of superhero figure, right? He jumps off a temple and he's rescued by angels. I mean, everybody would probably surround him and be like, what is going on? This is so cool. It's like an Avengers movie, right? So, but that's not what he does. He, he chooses not to th- throw himself off uh, to make this grand statement about himself. So he's resisting this lust to, um, to have people look at him and, and be impressed by his amazing powers, right? And it goes on, then, um, then Satan says, uh, Jesus said to him, Again it is written, you shall not put uh, the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I have given you, or I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, uh, Be begone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So kind of like what Mark says, you know, the angels come to minister him after, after this temptation. And But I, I think it's important that we look at this, uh, these verses in Matthew, uh, because I think it's important for us to see that when Jesus is confronted with the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, he doesn't give in to, to any of that. You know, he's, he's willing to stand his ground. And so it's it was easy for Adam and Eve to give in to those things, but where they failed, he stayed strong. Again, Jesus is victorious where Israel fails. Jesus is um, the perfect Israel, is a, another way that we see him throughout the gospel. So Israel is, you know, rescued by God, and then Israel goes out into the wilderness, and they're in the wilderness for 40 years, right? They're wandering around in the wilderness. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, So you have the symbolism between the 40 years and the 40 days. And where they failed, where they they tempted God and they they tried God and they cried out and they grumbled against God, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't cry out. Jesus doesn't whine. Jesus doesn't um, complain about being in the wilderness. But he simply goes to show that all righteousness is fulfilled through him. He is the perfect Israel. He is able to withstand the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And Jesus is victorious over Satan and wild animals in his human nature with the Holy Spirit and the angels to minister to him. I think it's so important Jesus is fully God, and I think sometimes we're like, oh, well, Jesus is fully God. Of course he could do this. But one of the things I think is we have to remember when Jesus came to earth, he he took on the form of an infant, especially during Christmas. Remember how vulnerable Jesus was. He literally had his diapers changed. I mean, he was a baby, He literally had, um, Mary had to come and nurse him or he would have starved to death. I mean, Jesus needed Mary. Jesus needed Joseph. Jesus needed his family. He was fully human, but yet he was fully God. And it's important for us to remember when Jesus does the miracles that he does in the gospel, a lot of times I think we're like, oh, well, that's just Jesus. But remember that Jesus also says to his disciples, to the apostles, he says, you will do greater things than these you will do greater things than these. Which is amazing to think about. I mean, he multiplies bread and, and fish and you know, he heals lepers and he casts out demons, all the stuff that we're going to see throughout this gospel. But he tells the apostles, you will do greater things than this. And he, he's, he, I don't think he's just messing around. I don't think he's just like, oh, you know, this is just a metaphor. You're going to do greater things than me. I think he's literally telling them they're going to do greater things than him. Because Jesus... Although he's fully God, he's also fully man. And when he became human, he leaned on the Holy Spirit. He completely relied on the Holy Spirit as our example. I mean, it wouldn't be much of an encouragement to us to just see Jesus as God wandering around doing miracles. Oh, great, that's good for you, God. What about me? Like, I'm glad you can do these things because you're God. But what about me? Jesus is fully human, So he's able to sympathize with us. He's able to feel the hardship. He's able to be hungry. He's able to be out in the desert, you know, where he is alone and scary. Can you imagine wandering around in first century, you know, Israel? I mean, that whole entire area was full of bandits, it was full of robbers, it was full of, you know, big, scary dogs that would come along and attack you in the middle of the night in packs. I mean, You don't want to be wandering around in the desert like he was in the wilderness. And so the fact that he went out as a human being and withstood Satan and withstood the the wild animals that uh, Mark mentions, that's a big deal. And he does so through the Holy Spirit and the angels. We also have the angels. A lot of times as Christians, we forget. You know, when you guys got baptized this morning, the entire heavenly host was celebrating your baptism. It wasn't just the people standing in here or sitting in here. The entire heavenly host it celebrated your baptism and will be with you throughout the rest of your life. You are surrounded by God's angels. They will minister to you. They will care for you. Whether you're facing Satan, whether you're facing other adversities, God will take care of you. And even when we feel like we're in the wilderness of life, we can, uh, we can take strength in the Holy Spirit and the angelic ministers. I mean, We get into wildernesses in life, right? Like we can't pay the bills, we can't do this, we can't do that. We have have friends, we have family that are sick. Especially with COVID, I think a lot of us have felt a spiritual wilderness, right? But God will take care of us through the wilderness. And God will even use these wilderness moments to help us grow, just as he did with Israel. He helped Israel to see who he was through their wilderness wanderings. So, And even if we fail, we can stand with confidence before the Father, knowing that we are beloved because we are in the beloved Son. When you become a Christian, when you are baptized into Christ, you are one in Christ. God doesn't just see you anymore. He doesn't just see Austin, right? He sees Austin who is in Christ. So when Austin fails, which we all do, Um, God will have mercy on you, not because of who you are, because of who you are in Christ, right? And so that's important to remember. So let's go on to our second point. Thank you, Austin, for letting me use the example. (laughs) John the Baptist is the greatest prophet of all, but he points ahead to the Savior who is even greater than himself. Actually, I put the wrong point in there. Here, look at your thing here, because I got the wrong one up there. Jesus continues in the ministry of John by proclaiming um, proclaiming Jesus continues in the ministry of John by proclaiming repentance and belief in the Savior. Is what it's supposed to say. I put the wrong one up there, I'm sorry. That one's from last week. So that's verses fourteen through fifteen. Jesus continues in the ministry of John by proclaiming repentance and belief in the Savior. And so let's read through verses fourteen through fifteen. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So that's actually the verse that I started this whole service with, was verse 15, because I think it's important for us to recognize that we have this ministry of calling people to repentance as well. So that's why I got up here and I did that, because I want you to understand that 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 verse is key especially during Advent, we're getting ready for the arrival of a king. And I think it's important for us to look at the fact that we are proclaiming this repentance and this belief in a Savior who came. He was a historical person who lived in the first century, right? And who will come again according to the scriptures. So Jesus is victorious over Satan and calls all people into his victorious kingdom of God. The time uh, Greek um, kairos... Um, sometimes you guys hear about kairos ministries, right? A time appointed by God. So there's another word, uh, chronos, which is, which is time in Greek. But kairos is a time appointed by God. It's a specific divinely appointed moment. So God has ordained a moment for us. And we all face our kairos moments differently. So when we're called to repentance, we all face that moment differently. And so we will... Um, and I, I like this part, too. Um, so the time is fulfilled. So Jesus, when, it, when he's saying the time is fulfilled, this, um, that Greek word there is um, pleirao, plerao, which is to be filled up. So it's like a cup, right? And it's like overflowing. So the time has come, and it's filled up to the brim, and is now overflowing. So Jesus has come. So all the Old Testament, all this time is now filled up, and the Savior is now here. And so, repentance is eo. So change one's mind or get your mind right is maybe a more common way we'd say that today. You got to get your mind right. It literally means like to make your mind new, to fix your mind, um, to to change your mind so that you're following God. The King has come and the kingdom is now. So. Jesus has come. Jesus, in, the, in this book, he's obviously walking around. He's literally there, right? And he is going to come again. And so we need to get our minds right. We need to... The things that we're thinking, um, they may be sinful things. They may be things that are stopping us from following God. That's why, we, like I said, we have confession here. But you can do confession at any moment of the day. I mean, there's times when things fill my mind or I think about things that wander, like my mind wander away from what God would have for me. And the important thing is that I have to get my mind back on God, right? And so I might be um, focused on the world and focused on the things of the world, because there's a lot of things that can distract us from following Jesus. But you have to bring your mind back to God when those things are pulling you away. Because the kingdom has come. The king has come already. He came in the first century, but he's coming again, The kingdom is now, and I I love the idea that the kingdom is now. I mean, the baptisms this morning, the confirmations this morning, all the cool stuff that was taking place this morning, the kingdom is now. It's not later. It's not like, oh, we're going to wait for Jesus to come back, and let's just sit and twiddle our thumbs. The kingdom is now, so we need to be on the move, and that's what I'm going to get into with the next point, which I think is probably wrong, too, because I didn't fix that one. (laughs) Yes, it's wrong, too. So, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus calls Simon and Andrew to a most important task of being fishers of men. Fishers of men. So that's the next three open points there. So let's read verses 16 through 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, uh, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So the apostles um, were chosen for the unique privilege of walking with the incarnate God. This morning, uh, Bishop Reed talked a little bit about being an apostle, right? We're all, we're all called to be sent ones, and sometimes a lot of Pentecostal churches especially, they use the term apostle, right, as like a, a leader in their church. Well, the only true apostles were the ones who walked with Jesus. And then you have Matthias later, but Matthias walked with Jesus. That's why they make him one of the twelve after Judas commits suicide, right? And so, and then later, Paul becomes an apostle because he, he experiences the risen Christ in person. And he is welcomed into the fellowship of the apostles. And so at first, when, when you see the word apostle in the Bible, that's how it's usually used. Although, like I said, it also can mean to be sent. And that's really what the apostles were. They were sent to become fishers of men. All that we have and all that we do should be in an effort to catch men for Jesus. And women too. It's not just men, but women too. But the idea is, We are called to become fishers of men, just as the apostles were. And when we have money, we have time, we have the ability to do so, we need to commit it. Can you imagine a fisherman? Okay, just think with me. You have a fisherman who, um, you know, it's his only livelihood, right? It's the only thing that he's committed to. And he decides, oh, I'm just not going to go fishing today. Or... I'm just not going to commit my equipment to that. Like, I don't want to spend my money on new fishing equipment. He's not going to catch any fish, right? He's a fisherman who's not catching fish. It's kind of silly to be a fisherman who doesn't catch fish. But we have Christians today, and it's really easy to become a Christian today who catches no fish. And I think it's important for us to remember that as fishermen, we are to catch fish. Can you imagine being a fisher and never catching fish? I mean, that would be Really, really (laughs) a rough circumstance. I mean, I spent a whole summer. Aaron actually remembers this. I went and I bought the tackle box. I had the fishing pole, and I went fishing all summer. I don't think I caught anything that summer. Can you imagine being a fisher who never catches fish? Well, I can because I spent a whole summer doing it. But in our life as Christians, we need to remember that we have a task to do, and we can't become fishers of men if we catch no fish. There's a hurting world out there, and sometimes I'll talk to people around the church, and I think there's an assumption like, oh, this is Texas, we're all Christians. Or, oh, everybody goes to a church. And it's just not true. There are so many hurting people, so many broken people who need to become part of the church to fulfill the work of God, to begin uh, the movement, really. That's why I titled this a movement for Jesus. We're not just going to build more churches and become more institutions, We need to be a movement of people changing lives so that people can really find who they are in Christ and help other people to find salvation, to spend eternity with God instead of being separated from him for eternity. We have a very important mission to become fishers of men. So the bottom line is Jesus is the great prophet, or the great, sorry, Jesus is the great victor over Satan and the great fisher of men. Jesus is the great victor over Satan and the great fisher of men. And he sets the example for us. He's fully man and fully God. But in his humanness, he sets an example that he relied on the Holy Spirit, and we need to do the same thing. You need to call out for God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. That's what confirmation was this morning, to fill you with the Holy Spirit, to do the ministry he's called you to do. And you will do even greater things than him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time to dive into your word, to learn just a little bit more about you, and a little bit more about your story of how you came into the world. Um, and you called men to follow after you, and you called us to become your disciples, to become fishers of men, to, to bring people out of darkness to, into your wonderful light. And it is amazing, an amazing ministry, a wonderful privilege to be part of your family and to be surrounded by your angels and empowered by your spirit to do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.